0: The bus to me was kind of my way of settling down. And, and I think that's the cool thing about buses is it gives you the mobility of travel, but it gives you kind of the feel of you know the tiny house, the actually having a place with maybe your kitchen and your bedroom and all of your things, but you're still able to travel kind of the van life uh, style in terms of going on highways and going boondocking and heading out to national parks and kind of living the travel lifestyle.
1: Welcome to the Tiny House Lifestyle Podcast, the show where you learn how to plan, build, and live the tiny lifestyle. I'm your host, Ethan Waldman, and this is episode 35 with Michael Fuhrer. When I went to the Georgia Tiny House Festival in the spring of 2017, I was blown away by all the school bus conversions, or schoolies as they're known. But there was one bus that really impressed me with its beautiful yet simple aesthetics, and its thoughtful owner, Michael Fuhrer, of Navigation Nowhere. Since finishing his bus, Michael has been living on the road and helping out on many other school bus builds along the way. I asked him on the show to give us a primer on schooly life from deciding whether it's right for you to choosing the right bus and avoiding the common conversion mistakes. We really cover a lot, and I hope you'll stick around for the interview. But first, I want to tell you about our sponsor today. The Tiny House Lifestyle Podcast is brought to you by Tiny House Decisions. Tiny House Decisions is my signature resource that helps you go from dream to plan to even building your tiny house. I'll tell you more about it after the show, but all you should know right now is that I'm offering 20% off for podcast listeners. Just head over to thetinyhouse.net slash THD and use the coupon code TINY. Again, that's thetinyhouse.net slash THD, coupon code tiny. All right, Michael Fuhrer from Navigation Nowhere has been living in his tiny house school bus for just over two years and is passionate about supporting and developing the bus life community. Over the past two years, what started as a summer road trip in a bus has now turned into more than 50,000 miles, where he now helps build, consult, and write about how others can live the bus life.
0: Michael Fuhrer, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. It's, uh, it's been a long time coming because we've been trying to meet up for so long, but I'm happy I could finally, uh, finally come on.
1: Me too. Yeah, it's hard to schedule interviews with, with you nomads because you never <laughs> know where the internet's going to be.
0: Yeah, I've been looking I've been looking for good internet to uh come on your podcast for quite a few months now, so I'm happy uh I finally am able to uh to do that.
1: Well where where are we catching you right now?
0: Uh I'm actually at my parents' house uh back on the East Coast. I stopped by here knowing that they had internet on my way south. So um I'm getting to see my family, come on the podcast and uh take a little break real quick um before I head back out on the road.
1: Perfect. So I was hoping we could just start with your story, and, and how did you end up converting a bus into a home on wheels? And it sounds like it was just supposed to be a summer road trip. So how did that end up becoming a full time thing?
0: <laughs> yeah, I um, yeah, I still wonder that myself sometimes because I, I laugh with my parents about the whole thing. And uh, originally, I actually was looking to um, build a tiny house. I was really interested in kind of building a, a tiny house on a trailer. And going that direction. And I was talking to my dad about it. And, you know, a a bit of what I was looking for was to be able to travel and move around. And for me, uh, the tiny house wasn't as mobile as I wanted because I wanted to live more of the the van life direction uh, in terms of traveling. And I didn't want to have to tow it around. I know it can be possible, but it just wasn't really something I was comfortable with. So I was kind of brainstorming ideas. And my dad, just out of nowhere, one day was like, you should build a school bus. And I don't know if he was serious, but I took him 100% serious. And I was like, that's a great idea. And a week later, I bought a school bus. And uh, that's kind of where it started. And yeah, from there, uh, the plan was really, uh, I was going to be working contract jobs in the tech industry and kind of traveling with, you know, four, six month contracts and using the bus as kind of my mobile um, home where I can switch locations Um, not have to get into rent in cities and having to find places to live and having to always consistently move my things. It was kind of a way to move my life just by turning on the engine. And uh, that was the plan. Uh, I'm not doing that at all. I kind of, uh, before I started my first contract, went on a big road trip with uh, six of my friends. And uh, that was kind of that was kind of the plan. And by the time that I ended up finishing that trip, uh, I started getting emails about buses and building and um, it just kind of took off from there, I guess, and uh, haven't really looked back since.
1: Are you now making your living through your work on the bus scene?
0: Yeah, I at this point, yeah, I live full time on the road. And uh, um, all of my income comes from some form of um, either construction or online work related to kind of the bus community um, at this point, which is which is really crazy and, and really awesome to to see um, because like I said, that was really nowhere I expected me you know myself to be two years down the road.
1: yeah, and i've I've followed you on Instagram since we met at the Georgia Tiny House Festival uh, in early 2018 and I see that you're constantly, working on fresh bus builds. And I think it's amazing that you're out there helping people get started.
0: Yeah, I, I kind of decided when uh, I kind of joined the bus community that my motto would kind of go along with, you know, always keeping my door open for people and always trying to just help and encourage people to do um, kind of an alternative lifestyle. Uh, obviously I live in buses and, and really help people with buses, but, you know, just alternative lifestyles in general, I, a lot of times I'll talk to people and, and, you know, they're thinking bus, so I want to build a bus. And then, you know, maybe down the road, they find out that maybe the bus isn't really what they should be doing right now, or maybe the bus is the perfect thing for them right now. And I just really have found such a joy in my lifestyle and, and kind of what I've been doing that it's, it's, yeah, it's so much fun to just kind of encourage people to kind of take the leap and do it.
1: I want to dig into that. What you just said, you know, maybe the bus isn't the right lifestyle, maybe it is. What is your take on like who is a bus perfect for and who is it not good for?
0: Yeah, uh I think I think when people talk to me about, you know, buying a bus and wanting to live the bus life, um my the first question they usually ask me is, you know, what kind of bus should I get? Um or how should I build it and typically that's not really where I'd want to start. Where I'd want to start is why are you even looking at this lifestyle? Because a lot of times knowing why you're trying to get into this lifestyle or what your, what your plan is with what you see yourself doing is going to really help inform the type of bus or maybe not a bus. Um, because you know, buses, they're, they're much more mobile, I would say than tiny houses. Um, but you don't necessarily have all of maybe the full amenities within a bus as a tiny house. Um, you, you tend to not have the lofted space unless you're doing roof raises and stuff. Um, you're also, you're dealing with metal and, and engines uh, along with the carpentry and construction. So there's just different factors that go into it. Um, the spacing is also different. I mean, we're stuck with really seven foot six wide um, vehicles. We can't really do anything with that unless you maybe do a slide out, which I don't think I've seen in the bus community yet. Um, and, and you're kind of you know, you're stuck in kind of an already existing shape or I feel like with tiny houses, you can kind of expand a little bit more with your, your sizing, you know, you can go goosenecks, you can go short trailers. Um, And and I think that kind of looking at, are you a family with kids? Are you a single person looking to travel? Um, Do you plan on never really traveling or are you trying to do 50,000 miles like I have? Uh, And all those things I think kind of go into answering that question because, you know, personally, I don't want to do 50,000 miles pulling a tiny house. Um, I have no problem driving a school bus. Um, So that might be something that, you know, is is a good factor to consider of kind of how you see yourself living this alternative lifestyle and what type of structure is going to fit that the best.
1: So what I'm hearing is that it's great for travel because obviously it's by definition is a vehicle. And I've seen many examples of families with, you know, people with young kids and, and multiple pets even living the bus life. And they are quite spacious. Um, so it sounds like, you know, families and travel, is there anything else that, that they're kind of ideal for?
0: Uh, I, I mean, depending on the size of school bus, I mean, a lot of um, people looking to kind of uh, live more of a travel lifestyle, but also a settled lifestyle. For me, uh, for example, I'm living on my bus alone, even though I are, always have guests with me. But I used to travel a lot in cars. Um, I lived in an SUV for a little bit traveling. And the bus to me was kind of my way of settling down. And, and I think that's the cool thing about buses is it gives you the mobility of travel, but it gives you kind of the feel of, you know, the tiny house, the actually having a place with maybe your kitchen and your bedroom and all of your things. But you're still able to travel kind of the van life uh, style in terms of, you know, you know, going on highways and going boondocking and heading out to national parks and kind of living the travel lifestyle, but still in a way being settled. And I think that's why I personally really like school buses. It kind of mixes the both worlds for me.
1: Absolutely. There's something that I've noticed in myself when I look at pictures of school bus builds. There's something that feels incredibly terrifying to me when I see a stripped out bus, like just the sheet metal and nothing inside of it. And all those curves and like wheel wells and bumps and just like, oh my God, how do you turn that into like these beautiful polished spaces?
0: (laughs) Yeah, I think, I mean, honestly for me, uh, when I first started building my bus, the scariest part was after I gutted it because I never thought about the fact that I would have to be dealing with metal. Um, I've never previously really worked with metal. I never welded before Um, I started building buses. I never really, you know, understood how you can bend and shape and, and, and kind of modify the school buses. And it can be very intimidating because you, you're kind of, you know, you're not starting with just two by four construction or, you know, kind of 16 on center type styles. You're, you're, you're kind of, you're dealing with typically, you know, 25, 28 uh, centered ribs with, you know, metal ribs that you then have to figure out how to attach things to. Um, So there's, it's it can be very intimidating but also the the fun thing is once you really start diving into it you can modify any way you want because you can simply just add metal or take away and re-engineer it um because you can just modify the structure quite easily once you really start diving into it um so i'm not i think i mean i really enjoy it now i mean engine work metal work and carpentry it's like the best of everything
1: (laughs) yeah so how how do you learn this stuff How do you recommend that other people learn this
0: stuff? Yeah, I I always recommend people to kind of to start by reaching into the community that's already around them. Uh, A lot of times I found for myself that just by talking to family members and neighbors, you're typically one step away from someone who knows how to weld. Um, You know, you're one step away from someone who's in construction. And for me, I just started tapping into those connections and started trying to learn from them as much as I could. And then start taking on those skills myself. And that that does take maybe a little bit for some people to kind of come out of their comfort zone or come out of their shell to start engaging you know, people in this way and trying to explain what they're doing uh, to kind of get the help. But that's where pretty much all of my skills have come from is just learning from others in different fields and then kind of putting it all together into uh, what is now bus building for me.
1: Are there any kind of unique challenges when it comes to a bus, I know you've already mentioned, um, the fact that you have to learn to work with metal. Um, I've, I've heard, actually, I know somebody who converted a bus a few years ago and and didn't take into account the fact that there was going to be moisture condensing on their bus. And (laughs) she ended up having to tear out a lot of finished carpentry. So maybe Mm. you could talk about some of that kind of stuff, like how to, how to do it right and make sure that you don't end up having problems later on.
0: Yeah. That's definitely a huge issue with school bus conversions. Um, cause, uh, a lot of times, you know, especially when you're traveling around the country, you're going to go through a lot of different climates, um, you know, humidity on the East coast versus a lot of dry climates on the West coast. And that's going to cause a lot of fluctuations with the metal actually condensating. And what that's going to do is it sweats into your wood when you start, um, building. So one of the biggest issues is people don't create, um, uh, you know, vapor breaks and thermal breaks within their building. So, um, some things that people typically do is they'll just attach their wood directly to the metal. And by doing that, when the metal sweats, um, it's just going to seep right into your wood and start sweating from the back. And like you said, you're going to end up having to, you know, rip that out over a period of time because it's going to start either molding or you're just going to rot your wood away. Um, so good ways that, that you can fix those things is just simply creating, uh, Vapor breaks by, you know, if, depending on what type of insulation you use, um, if you're doing like a closed cell spray foam, that's going to seal the metal where the spray foam is. Um, and then you wouldn't really have to worry about the large, you know, sheet metal pieces. And then what I typically do is um, I face all of my rib structures with um, some type of uh, vapor break so that my wood is never actually touching uh, the metal so it actually is creating a, a separation so that if there is any type of condensation, it's not going to seep directly into the wood. Um, another thing you can just consider is what type of heat you're putting in the bus. Sometimes people are using, um, unfortunately, non-vented propane and things like that. And they don't realize that propane's byproduct is water. And that is literally the worst thing you can do in a school bus because you're just putting moisture right into the air. Um, and that's that's not going to really help you at all. Um, some people do wood fireplaces and things like that. And those are going to put a dry heat into the bus, which will help kind of keep the moisture out um, in terms of trying to control that, that issue. But um, yeah, it is, it is a big, big problem in school buses. Um, uh, Another thing would be the windows. Um, If you're leaving your school bus windows, they're single pane, uh, not really the greatest windows out there. And those are really hard to keep from condensating in certain environments and times of year, because they just don't have Um, you know, the typical double pane you would have in your house, that's going to keep that condensation from forming on the inside. So it's definitely something we're always battling in the bus community if you're not going to do like RV windows and stuff. Um, But it's definitely something that can be, you know, solved with just a little bit of time while you're building.
1: Right. It sounds like these are all things that you just need to be aware of and account for. So that way they don't come back and bite you later on.
0: Yeah. If you want it to last, you just take your time during your build and, and, uh, you can totally do it.
1: What kind of maintenance is required? And and I think what I mean by that question is, is almost the mechanical maintenance of the bus itself. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. I mean, there, there's routine maintenance that you're, you can do, um, on your school bus. I do all of my work on my bus myself, um, after learning from many uh, mechanics around the country that I've worked with and, um, you know, that's something that I'm, I'm very, you know, blessed with the skills that I've now learned to be able to do that, but that's not necessarily the truth for everyone. Um, I like to say that, you know, if you know how to change oil or you know how to, you know, grease your wheels or your bearings and things like that, great. But just because you don't know mechanics doesn't mean you can't live the bus life. Um, I like to tell people that, you know, you know, you live in a traditional home and you don't know how to do all of your electrical work. You just simply call an electrician. If you live in a bus and you don't know mechanic work, there's mechanics at every exit across America. So it's one of those things where it might cost you more money because you're paying someone to do the work for you. But it's just something that you can budget with um, when you're kind of going into the lifestyle, knowing that you're going to need to do that.
1: Is it difficult to find mechanics that can work on buses?
0: I've never had an issue because, I mean, essentially my bus, my bus has a Mercedes 900 engine. Um, It's got an Allison 2000 transmission uh, fairly, you know, typical, you know, big, big block, uh, you know, diesel engines that you're going to find in any rigs that you're seeing drive down the highway. So, you know, if I if I break down the road and I really need some help, uh, there's typically, you know, a Freightliner or a Love's Auto, you know, truck stop or something within, you know, a couple miles because you have commercial trucks going down the highways, you know, every day. So, Um, you can simply just slide into that line and those mechanics are are able to help you out. Um, You just might have to wait, you know, around the commercial businesses, but um, I have never really found it hard to find someone if I needed help, you know, in an emergency.
1: Right. And I suppose that every single school district in America has a fleet of these things and they need people to work on them too.
0: Yeah. Yeah. They're, they're, I mean, they're really common vehicle, you know, cause like you said, like they're everywhere in the States. So you know, to find a mechanic who knows how to work on it, uh, it's not really that hard because I mean, school buses are essentially just you know commercial trucks with a bus body thrown on them. So you know, it, it may look like a school bus, but in terms of like the chassis and all of the mechanical parts, it's it's you know the same thing as a commercial vehicle that would be you know going down the road.
1: So let's say that I came to you and we've we've. Um confirmed that the lifestyle like the the reason why that I want a school bus those things are there so i'm 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 at the stage of I want to do a school bus where do we go next do we start looking at different types of buses
0: yeah uh, at that point I typically would suggest people to start looking at um, kind of the the lifestyle that they're going to be living with the school bus so they've decided they want to live in a school bus but um, are they trying to you know, kind of live a road trip lifestyle or are they going to be staying in RV campgrounds or um, are, you know, are they going to be moving maybe once or twice a year and this is just an easy way for them to move their their home? Because essentially what you're going to want to do is find the size of bus and then the drivetrain and engine of the bus that you're looking for. And those are huge factors when buying school buses because, for example, you can go buy a school bus with what you would think would be a great engine and, you know, a great looking body to the bus and, you know, there's no rust on it and things like that. Um, but you know, your, your rear end differential is running like my bus was a five fifty seven and I was getting like five miles per gallon. That is not exactly a very good bus because you're going to burn so much money and fuel costs that it would be better for you to find a bus that is going to be able to run higher speeds. Um, you know, be able to get better gas mileage, and it's gonna be better for you know, kind of going down the highways rather than you know, pulling up the mountains and things like that. So, you know, people a lot of times will go on Craigslist and auctions, and they'll be like, "Oh my gosh, I found the perfect bus!" And it just looks, you know, visually like you would, you know, go car shopping. It looks like a good bus, um, but it really actually comes down to the the mechanicals of it, which is actually going to tell you if it's a bus that you can actually really work with with your lifestyle.
1: Got it. So did you actually change out that rear end differential on your bus?
0: Yeah, I yeah, I switched my I took the whole core out and put a new one in. Um my bus now is running a a 4 le, or no, 433 in the rear. Um so, you know, I I really boosted up my efficiency. Um I now get around 10 to 12 miles per gallon. Um and uh, my bus can ride on the highways around 70 miles an hour. So it, it's definitely um a huge thing, but that, you know, that goes into the cost. Um if you know if you're looking at school buses and you found the perfect engine and the perfect drivetrain and the body is you know completely rust free, but your rear end is off um, or it has bad tires on it, the problem is is that you may be able to buy that bus for three, four, maybe five thousand dollars, but switching out the rear end is going to be like two grand, and a whole new set of tires is like twenty five hundred three thousand dollars around there so you may have gotten the bus for a really good price but you're immediately gonna throw in like five grand into just a rear end and tires so you know in my opinion I would say that that's actually not a good bus because of the amount of money you're gonna spend there's so many buses out in the market it's better to just go find another one that's already gonna have maybe good tires or maybe the right uh, gear ratios for what you're looking for um, because School buses, if you, you know, as of right now on the on the market, you know, a, a 1995 versus a 2004, uh, they tend to be priced fairly similarly. Uh, they're not; they're, it's not like buying cars, where like uh, you know, a, a new car versus an old car, or a used car versus a really really old one, or the prices are going to be really different. Um, buses, it, it it doesn't really seem like the market is you know thousands of dollars off in pricing, so. You're better off just going to look for a new bus. So just
1: keep looking until you find one that has the the mechanical features that you need. So that way you don't have to do it yourself later.
0: Yeah, is it's gonna it's gonna take that three thousand dollar initial price tag and turn it into eight thousand real quick if you're buying new tires and switching out engine parts. Um, and then you're you know you're starting out your build at eight thousand, then not at three thousand, which you thought you were going to. Right. Uh, so and that's
1: pretty appealing. I mean. When you said three to eight thousand dollars, that what popped into my mind right away is, oh, that's the cost of your tiny house trailer. I mean, and they yeah. they do range from a from about three to eight thousand dollars. Yeah. Except you're getting a trailer yeah. with a
0: giant diesel engine attached to it. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, it, it's yeah. I mean, in the in the pricing there can be huge because I mean, for a lot of people going to the bus community that I talk to, three to eight thousand dollars is a massive part of the budget that they're going into their builds with. Um, so to be able to save that money right in the beginning by just buying the right bus, it, it, it's a complete game changer because that, that, you know, $3,000 or $4,000, that, that could be your solar system. I mean, that could be your upgraded water system. Um, you know, that, that could, that's a lot of money going into your, your build that you can save just by buying the right bus.
1: Wow. What's the, the range uh, in, in cost for a bus conversion?
0: <laughs> oh man, they could be, I mean, they could be all over the place. Um, and that's kind of the fun part about the bus community, I think right now is that, you know, when I'm talking about buses and when I do bus conversions, I, I'm tend to kind of do an all out conversion, all out systems. Um, and, and those are going to, you know, if you're doing it yourself, just the materials and buying the bus um the buses that I've helped out on and I've done that are kind of fully built out, they, they tend to price out 30 to like $38,000. Um, and that's just materials and the cost of the bus. Um, and those are fully off grid vehicles, you know, full water systems, full transfer hookups for RVs. And, you know, they're, they're all the way out there, but you know, that's kind of the, the higher end of what people are spending. Um, I've seen beautiful conversions done, Um, and very functional conversions done for a lot less. And, and, you know, and that's possible. It's just a matter of, you know, what's your timeline? Are you collecting free materials or reclaimed materials? Um, Are you buying everything brand new and, you know, going to buy brand new lumber and all that kind of stuff? Um, Are you trying to live an off-grid lifestyle? Because, you know, the cost of a, a, a solar system to run your fridge and AC and everything else is going to cost a lot more than if you're just trying to run basic 12-volt systems. Um, so, you know, a lot of those factors will multiply your budget very quickly depending on what you're looking to do.
1: And where do you go to find these buses? Because I, I feel like I don't see them on the side of the road with a for sale sign. Uh,
0: you, 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 we don't in the Northeast. Um, I mean, I grew up in Jersey, so I, I know, you know, if being you're in, up in Vermont. We, we don't see that as often around here, but if you're down in the South, Um they they are actually you can see them on the side of the road. Like when I go down to Florida or Texas, um I mean I see them for sale all the time because a lot of times they're being sold off to farmers um to be used as haulers. Um and and they're just selling them off uh, into the fields. Uh that's that's one place you can find them. Uh you can find them, you know, on eBay, Craigslist, typical online sale places. Um there's government auctions you can buy them at. Uh you can buy them sometimes directly from school districts. If uh, you know that a school district is going to be selling out their, you know, their buses, they can, you can sometimes pick them up from them directly. Uh, There are used bus places um, that just like a used car salesperson, there's used bus people. Um, So there's, there's options and um, out there, it's just a matter of kind of doing the research of kind of what's in your area, maybe, or what's, you know, on your, you know, area of the country and, and what might be available to you.
1: When you were talking about those rear end differentials, does now that you've changed yours out to the one that can cruise on the highway more efficiently, does that mean that you can't climb steep hills now or is it not that trade-off?
0: Oh, no, you can. Uh, I purposely uh, did the 433 because after talking to some mechanics and stuff, I found that that would be kind of a good balance between me having the torque uh, and me still getting the highway speeds. Uh, I've, my bus, uh, doesn't climb mountains, you know, like it used to kind of thing. Um, but, uh, just a month ago I had my bus up at mile 14 on Pike's peak. Um, and I just came over Rocky mountain national park at 14,000 feet. Um, I mean, it's, it's kind of, I, I think of it as, it's not a matter of, you know, where can a bus go? It's where are you willing to drive it? <laughs> um, <laughs> so, uh, it's, you know, it's it's kind of a matter of I'm okay with going up a mountain at two miles an hour because I'm not really trying to get anywhere quick anyway. So if I want to get to the top of the mountain, I'm going to do it. It just might be faster to walk.
1: <laughs> wow. Okay. Do buses require a, a, like a special kind of diesel fuel or is it just any, any station with diesel? You're good to go.
0: Yeah, no, you're good to go. It's, uh, it's just a normal diesel engine. Uh, you can, you know, fill up just like any truck. You can go to truck stops with the you know fast pumps. You can also go to the mom and pop gas station with diesel and fill up. It's it's more about who's got the best price than who's got the right diesel. <laughs> okay. And do the prices vary widely? Uh, they they do depending on where you're filling up. I find that um, when you're on highways, it tends to be more expensive uh, than maybe you know ten miles off the highway in a small town. I'm not exactly sure, I don't know the, you know, economics of gas prices, uh, but I'd imagine because, you know, it is typically used in commercial vehicles. Uh, I'd imagine, I know in Jersey, there's a commercial tax on diesel. So we now have a bit higher prices in Jersey on diesel uh, because of that. So, you know, there are factors that affect the pricing, but um, you know, the good thing is, is that uh, on my bus, I have a hundred gallon tank. I get, you know, we'll say about 10 miles per gallon. So I got a thousand mile range in my tank. So you know, if, if it's really expensive in Jersey, Maryland, you know, Virginia, as I'm heading south next week, I'll just wait until I get to South Carolina, you know, like, you, you know, because I can hit the range to find the prices that are down the road, you know, unlike with a car, you're going to be going maybe, you know, two, 300 mile range where you're going to be filling up a lot more often.
1: Wow. So filling up the tank is, is quite an investment.
0: Oh, yes. Yeah, it's it's for me, it's a uh, hundred times whatever the gas price is. So every penny is literally a dollar. Um, but, you know, that's, you know, just a a part of the lifestyle I think. I, I was just in Colorado and drove back to the East Coast and I filled up in Denver. I filled up in St. Louis and then I arrived on the East Coast. So, you know, you don't fill up often, but when you do, it definitely hurts. <laughs>
1: yeah. Yeah. So do you do you think that the bus life is kind of overlooked by the tiny house movement?
0: Uh overlooked. I, I don't I don't think so. I think I mean I think maybe in terms if we're talking like in the, you know, more commercial space with companies, um, I don't think, you know, companies are necessarily designing things to be in school buses. You know, we modify tiny house designs into school buses. So, you know, there isn't, there aren't companies making, you know, toilets and, you know, certain types of water heaters specifically made for school buses, but what works in a tiny house is pretty adaptable to a school bus. So, Maybe that is starting to develop in terms of people hitting the market within just school buses, um, but we we I don't I don't even know if that will happen because we can just feed off the RV community because um, a lot of that is just you know exactly what we can use. Um, but in terms of the community and the people, um, I don't think so at all. I, I think um, the cool thing about the bus community to me is kind of going from living the van life to now living in a tiny house kind of uh, style. I think it's an awesome bridge between the communities where, you know, I'm still boondocking in the back country with all my friends who live in vans and live in tent campers. And then I can go to a tiny house festival and go hang out with a bunch of people who live in tiny houses. And we all are doing it for the same reasons. And we all have similar philosophies about life. And um, I think that's really more what it's about than what you're living in is, is kind of the community background to it. Um, And I don't think that's at all separated.
1: Nice. Yeah, I I definitely see that at the festivals, everybody's kind of there together. And I think you hit the nail on the head with it's not it's not it doesn't seem like a commercialized thing yet. And hopefully maybe it will never be like there are so many companies building tiny houses on wheels. I feel like you can sneeze on Instagram and find, you know, so many new builders who are just hanging out their shingle and saying, we're building tiny houses, you know, people trying to kind of make a buck in this, in this world. But the buses seem kind of like this pure thing that are really being done by people who just love them and want to live the lifestyle.
0: Yeah, it's, there is definitely at this point, um, still a really, really strong DIY community in the bus, the bus world. Uh, with that said, uh, I do know a lot of friends who, you know, years ago were building buses, um, kind of, you know, even before I started and are now open professional shops, building buses for people. Um, so there are, I think there are now, I think I know of six shops that are in the country, um, that are doing bus conversions, uh, in van conversions, like solely. So, I mean, it, it is, I do see it starting. Um, uh, I think, uh, a friend of mine, Said that they just heard of someone building uh, a spec bus, so essentially they're just building a bus on a blueprint and you know selling it out for a certain price for people who want to be able to build. So, I mean, I think that the commercialization of the bus world is kind of starting, and and maybe you know where the tiny house community was years ago. Um, I don't know where that's going to go or if it's going to continue to go that direction, but I mean, there are you know signs of you know that I think starting, but. The good news is, is that, you know, I don't think that anyone in the professional market building right now, all of them are living in buses um, while they're even running these shops. So, I mean, it's kind of still really cool to see these guys who have fab skills and have construction skills living the bus life are now helping others do it in a professional shop. So, you know, I, I think that's a really cool part to it is that even though it is maybe becoming a little bit commercial in those ways. It's still really grassroots in the DIY market. Um, it's really about the people in the community, and uh, I. It's going to be interesting to see where that goes.
1: Are there any resources out there that help people learn or understand the process for converting a bus? Because I feel like a, a tiny house on wheels that's stick frame construction or SIPS, or, you know, or what have you. But that process is very well known. Mm-hmm. Um. And I think that the process of converting a bus has some different and additional steps, like gutting it and preparing. You know what you were talking about with getting that vapor barrier. So, are there any resources that explain kind of the process of of doing a bus conversion?
0: Yeah, there there are a couple uh, people who have done blogs and you know basic ebooks on kind of the steps to it. Um, I personally uh, put out YouTube videos and blogs and eBooks about that, uh, specifically because for me, um, I don't personally have, you know, a shop and employees who build buses for people. Um, and I don't necessarily want one. Um, my interest is helping the DIY market and kind of getting into people's backyards and saying like, Hey, um, where are you struggling on your bus conversion? How can I help? Um, and kind of encouraging the DIY community to continue. Um, because when I was building my bus, you know, uh, I was working two jobs while I was building it at night, you know, just to pay for it and get the whole lifestyle started. And I know that a lot of people are doing the same thing. So for me to be able to, you know, encourage and help the DIY community in getting through those questions is going to save them a lot of money because they're not having to pay uh, larger ticket prices for full out conversions from you know these professional shops, um, and they're able to do a lot of the work themselves, and then just kind of. Um, come to people like me, or kind of go to uh, some of these online resources to kind of get through those little stages and then get them to you know their completed bill that may be something within their budget. So you
1: said you've put out an ebook about doing it?
0: Uh, I, I, I haven't put out an official ebook yet. <laughs> uh, wink, wink. <laughs> so, um, yeah, what I've done so far is uh, just to be able to get the information out there as quickly as I can, Um, I've resorted to uh, writing blogs uh, and putting out YouTube videos on this information, trying to just kind of get things out there um, because, you know, putting together a full ebook um, is actually quite difficult for buses because they're so custom built that to document builds and then try to give the steps, um, everyone's going to do it differently and not everyone knows how to weld or play with metal. So, you know, you can't necessarily always... Do that. Sometimes you need to work around the fact that you're not going to modify the body structure or that you're not going to do certain things. So, um, you know, I'm trying to find the best way to kind of document the whole thing for a range of skill levels so that people can um, really tackle it in the best way possible for them.
1: So um, one thing that I like to ask all of my guests um, is what are two or three resources that inspired you along the way? Could be books or, you know, even I've had people mention different YouTube channels. What helped you on your journey?
0: Um, I think uh, the tiny house community, because um, when I f- first started my build, there wasn't really a super amount of um really resources or, you know, stuff out there. There was a couple forums and stuff, but I think the inspiration from the tiny house community and the reasons why people were going tiny kind of really encouraged me to not think I was crazy for living in a school bus. Um, and kind of just, you know, keep pushing me that direction. Um, when I first started building, the first bus that I ever saw was, um, a couple, um, uh, I think they're, I think their Instagram is still active, but they don't live on a bus anymore. Um, it was the outside found bus. They finished theirs um, pretty much midway. Midway when I was on working on mine, so you know we were building at similar times, and I was following their build. And um, it was encouraging to see someone else building. Um, and if anyone were to look up their bus um, when they finished it, they did kind of a full, complete out build um, in terms of like aesthetic and systems. So it was kind of the uh, you know for me, it was one of the first ones that I saw of someone really saying like, I'm going to do this like a t- you know, a full out tiny house. I'm, I'm not just going to make this a weekend camper. Like I'm going to live in this full time and travel. Um, so I, I, you know, that was kind of encouraging to see other people kind of, you know, pushing the boundaries of what, you know, maybe really was, you know, uh, published before that. Um, I mean, living in buses, isn't a new thing. Uh, there's been tons of people doing it before me and everyone else. Uh, it's just, you know, in terms of the internet and resources, um, there's, there wasn't a lot out there, you know?
1: Right, right. Well, you are on the forefront of, of putting it out there and and helping a lot of people. So thank you for doing what you do.
0: Yeah. I, I just hope that people, you know, if they're interested in the bus life, that they can find some encouragement, um, find some resources and, you know, uh, just be able to kind of jump into it. Cause like I said, I was saying to you before the festival in Florida, um, I don't know if that was before, or after we started the podcast when we were talking, but um, I was just talking to to John who who runs the festival, and he was telling me that we have 29 buses coming to Florida right now, and we're still a month before the festival. Um, and you know, a, a year, two years ago, I was at a festival. And it was just me at the festival, and uh, you know, to to see in two years we go from just my bus and me at this you know festival to 29 people registered a month before. I mean, that's just so amazing to me and i am like super excited to go and just meet everyone because just to see that expansion within the community um and seeing people just you know uh come up with their own designs and build these awesome rigs that are just inspiring to me in the community and and it's just it's really cool to see um it's a really fun time to be a part of the bus community
1: awesome well michael fuhrer thank you so much for being on the show
0: yeah thanks for having me i'm glad we could uh, finally meet up
1: Thank you so much to Michael Fuhrer for being a guest on the show. You can find the notes from today's show, including all the links to the resources mentioned and how to find Michael Fuhrer online at thetinyhouse.net slash 035. Again, that's thetinyhouse.net slash 035. That'll get you all the information you need. Now I want to tell you a little bit more about our sponsor today, which is the guide Tiny House Decisions. Tiny House Decisions is a comprehensive field guide to help aspiring tiny house builders make the right choices for their unique homes. In it, you go through the decisions that I made, what I ultimately decided for my own house and why, and how those decisions affected the overall project. I'll help you identify key choices and understand the relationships between them so you can plan your house effectively without spending countless hours researching. The guide has helped readers save hundreds or even thousands of dollars on their tiny houses by avoiding common mistakes. And most important, it will help you feel confident about the choices you're making because you'll know they're the right decisions for you. To learn more, head over to thetinyhouse.net slash THD. Again, that's thetinyhouse.net slash THD and use the coupon code tiny when you check out for 20% off any package. Well, that's all for now. I'm your host, Ethan Waldman, and I'll be back next week with another episode of the Tiny House Lifestyle Podcast.